Good evening. Good to see y'all. Uh, we're continuing our, our tough question series. And here at the start of the series, here in the fall, we're looking at objections that non-Christians often bring up. Um, and you remember, I got all these questions from you and from a couple of other sources, so I didn't just pull these out of nowhere. But here at the start, you might find that a lot of these questions are going to be things that you already know the answer to. And you might wonder, well, why are we talking about this, especially tonight's topic? Can there only be one true religion? I think probably 99% of us in here would say, well, sure there is, and that's not a problem. But the, there are some of you perhaps who've heard some arguments to the contrary, and you wonder, well, how do we deal with those? And there are probably others of you who um, have had this question brought up to you by friends or relatives or coworkers, and you wonder how to respond to them. And, and so hopefully this is helpful to you in that way. And then there's this next thing. So when I was uh, pondering getting this going, I sort of uh, threw out there the possibility that we could record these and put them on the internet. And at, at a staff meeting a few weeks ago, I said, I don't know if we really need to do that. And the rest of the staff said, well, it's not that hard to do it. We might as well. And so James Brown is the one that set all this up. He's our, our media uh, person. And, and so last week was our first week. And so Monday at staff meeting, he said, by the way, we were wondering if we needed to put these on the internet. As of today, we had over 150 people listen to it. So I don't know. I, I don't know. That may have been my mom listening to it 149 times. But I hope and pray that at least some of those were people who don't yet believe in Christ. That's the hope. Uh, and I know some of you stay far away from the internet, and that's fine. You're probably better for it. But if you are uh, online and you have a chance to share this with someone who doesn't yet believe, then uh, I, I praise God for that opportunity. So when several years ago, this is quite a few years ago now, on Easter Sunday, Parade Magazine, the one they stick in your newspaper, it had an article. The lead article was, what is the biggest problem in the world in religion today? And they asked six different religious leaders, leaders from different religions. One was a Christian. The Christian said the biggest problem in religion is violence in the name of faith, which is a pretty good answer. The other five of different faiths, they all said the same thing. In their own way, they all said the biggest problem is exclusivity. It's claiming that your way is the only way, that there's only one true way, and that's what causes all of the terrorism, that's what causes all of the violence, that's what causes all of the hatred, that's what causes all of the division. Basically, if we would all just admit that everyone has their own path and all paths are valid, then everything would be okay. And that's a very popular way to think today, uh, even among churchgoers. So this is a poll taken several years ago by U.S. News and World Report. It tells you how long ago it was because I don't think they exist anymore. But they ask American Christians, these are people who identify themselves as Christians, how many of them agreed with the statement, the religion I practice is the only true religion? Only 19% agreed. And I doubt that number's gotten better in the years since they did that poll. So where does this idea come from? Why is this so popular? I think there's two reasons. First of all, people point to this long history of violence in the name of religion. And it is true. There's been a lot of violence in the name of religion down through history. Let's just look at Christianity. Let's just, full disclosure, let's be completely honest. You look back at the Crusades in the Middle Ages. You know, the Crusades began when the leader of the Christian church at the time, the Pope, told men in Europe, if you go and fight in this crusade and win back the Holy Land for Christianity, you get a free pass to heaven. You can do anything you want. They're, all sins are absolutely forgiven. 
And if you don't think that didn't, issue, uh, didn't result in some terrible atrocities done under the banner of the cross, you don't know history. There, there's a whole history down through the Middle Ages of wars of religion in Europe, when England would fight France, when France would fight the German states, and so forth. There was always religion involved. In, in our own time, we've seen uh, Protestant and Catholic strife in Ireland. Fortunately, that has died down in the last couple of decades, but terrible things done. Uh, just anti-Semitism alone. One of my own personal heroes is Martin Luther, but in his later years, Luther said some terrible things about the Jewish people, blame them for all kinds of ills. And that has led to all kinds of terrible things done to the Jewish people. So Pascal, a Christian, said, men never do evil so cheerfully and completely as when they do it from religious conviction. And that is the truth. There's another reason, I think, why this, this idea that all religions basically should be equal and the same and should be equally valid comes from, uh, and it comes from the fact that these days, as opposed to few earlier generations, we're much more likely to know people of other faiths on a daily basis. I'm, I'm not yet 50. I'll be 49 tomorrow. But um, growing up, just that little, little amount of time ago, um, I grew up not knowing a single person of a non-Christian faith. I knew people who didn't go to church. But I didn't know anybody who was Jewish, anybody who was Muslim, anybody who was Hindu, anybody who was... I didn't even know any, I didn't even know any Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. I knew, everyone I knew claimed to be some kind of Christian. I had to leave Yoakum, Texas. I had to move to Houston and go to U of H to meet people of other faiths. And there, believe me, I met plenty of them. I met, I met atheists, of course. I met, I met Hindus. I met Muslims. I met Jews. I met people of all kinds of faiths from all around the world. That's one of the most international... Uh, campuses in America. Graduated, got married, went off to seminary. My wife had a job while I was in seminary. You know, she got the PhD degree in seminary. You know what that stands for, right? Put hubby through. So, so she, she worked several jobs to, to pay our bills, and one of them was working for an attorney and it's the best job she ever had, uh, best boss she ever had. He was a, a devout Jewish man who was very humble, very gracious, tons of integrity, just the, the perfect boss. Um, and yet, devoutly Jewish, did not believe what we believed. Uh, my first cousin married a man who grew up in Palestine, who is a Muslim. Uh, she converted. Uh, they have a fantastic marriage. They've raised three kids who are good students, all Americans. I mean, they, they are just the perfect model citizens of this country, and yet they don't believe what I believe about Jesus Christ. And so I think because a lot of other people have a similar experience, you know, for years when everyone stayed in their own country, it was easy to look across the Atlantic or across the Pacific at a different religion and say, well, those people are just ignorant. But when you get to know them and you start to see, well, they're not really that different than us, it's not a big leap from there to say, well, you know, I know he's Muslim, but he's such a good guy. Surely God's got a way of getting him into heaven too. And I think that's part of where this idea comes from too. We just cannot handle the idea that people we know personally might not be in the family of God because they don't believe what we believe. So we hear things like this. Tell me if... You, you've heard this before. There's the parable of the blind men and the elephant. And the way it goes is five blind men encounter an elephant in a room. And the first one touches his 
trunk and says, whatever this thing is, I think it's like a hose. And another one touches its side and said, no, it's more like a wall. And another one touches its leg and says, no, it's more like a tree. And another one touches its tail and says, no, it's, it's a broom. And the fifth one says, you're all wrong because he's touching its tusk and says, it's a spear. And so the parable of the elephant is that if they could just work together, they'd see they're all touching the same thing. And in the same way, the parable of the elephant says, all religions are basically touching the same God. They just don't understand it. If they just talk to one another, they'd see they're all touching the same God in different ways. And when people tell that story, it sounds really humble and it sounds really tolerant and everyone likes it. But the problem is it is neither humble nor tolerant. Because when you tell that story, it's not humble because you're saying, as opposed to all you ignorant religious people who are blind, I have sight. I see the whole elephant. Unlike all of you, I see the whole thing. That's not humble at all, is it? That is claiming to have more knowledge than other people. It's not tolerant either, and here's the reason why. Because you're telling people of all religions that they're wrong. You're telling them, you know, Muslims, you don't need to say that there's only one God when the Hindus believe in multiple gods. And, and Christians, you shouldn't say that Jesus died on a cross for our sins because the Muslims don't believe that. They believe he lived a perfect life, but he didn't die. And, and, and you shouldn't say that he was the son of God because Jews don't believe that. And Jews, you shouldn't, you shouldn't say that it's wrong to create idols because Hindus have all kinds of idols. So why don't y'all just Get rid of all the stuff that contradicts one another and everything will be okay. Well, you and I know as Christians, you take away the divinity of Jesus and his death on the cross, you don't have Christianity anymore. So that statement that all roads lead to the same place is equally offensive to all religions. It's the last thing but tolerant. So if you asked me what is the biggest problem in religion today, my answer would be the desire to customize God. This human desire to say, I want to believe in a God in my image, in the image that I have fashioned. In the, I want to believe in a God that fits all my categories and that acts the way I want him to act and, and stands for the things I want him to stand for. And that bothers people today because they say, well, we're advanced people. Why can't we determine what kind of God we want to believe in? Well, okay, kind of a crude illustration. But can you imagine if you were a young man and you met a young woman and you fell in love with her and you said, I want to be your husband. I want you to be my wife. I want us to live for, together forever. I just, want, I just want you to be, okay, you're a little tall for me, so if you can kind of stoop a little bit. And I want you to dye your hair blonde. And I want, your voice is a little bit grating, so speak in a, in a little lower register. Take some cooking classes, you know, maybe some exercise classes. Don't want you to gain any weight. And do something about your parents because I don't really like them. How long would that relationship last? Yeah. That, that, is, that, is, that is not a way to relate to a real human being. Because what you're saying is, I don't really love you. I love this image of what I wish you were. In the same way, when we come to God and we say, well, I love, like, like people on the left might say, I love what Jesus has to say in the Sermon on the Mount about turning the other cheek, about concern for the poor, but I, I don't like what he has to say about sexuality. I don't like what he say, has to say about the existence of a real place called hell. Um, or 
as people on the right might say, well, I love how Jesus stood up for the law and stood up for right and wrong and, and boldly declared there was only one way to salvation, but I don't like what he says about compassion. I don't like what he says about you know, surrendering your stuff to bless other people. Well, you can't have it that way. You believe in God. God you either take God as he is or you don't take him at all. God will not be customized. And that goes as well for people saying, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. And as long as you don't infringe on someone else's rights. So, if there's only one God, who is he? Again, you and I all know the answer, but let's look at what the Bible says. The answer is in Scripture. The answer of both Old and New Testament is Jesus. Here's Colossians 1, 15 through 20, a little bit long passage. This is, this is what some scholars call the great Christological hymn because they believe that Paul is quoting from an ancient hymn. And it goes like this. He is, that's Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he created, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, we could spend literally weeks just taking that passage apart, but the reason I quote it now is to say, if scholars are right, if that's an ancient hymn, Paul is quoting that around 30 years after the life of Jesus, 25 or 30 years after the life of Jesus. What this shows is it wasn't centuries later that the church decided, hey, let's make Jesus divine. It was within the lifetime of people who knew him face to face that they were already singing songs about how he created all things. He is the image of the invisible God. There is nothing about God that is not true of him because he is God in human flesh. He's the head of the church. He's going to rule the whole world someday. The belief of the church was and is that Jesus is God. God is Jesus. He is no less than God. He is the one we worship. Acts 4.12. Again, going back to the very beginning, this is a statement from earlier, even much earlier than Paul's writing this. Uh, it says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we may be saved. There is no other name. That is the message of Scripture. The Scriptures that testify to who Jesus is are very exclusive. So it's hard to say, I really like Jesus but I don't like Paul. I've heard people say that. I really like Jesus, but I don't like all this religion stuff. And yet, all the, the very book that tells us who Jesus was testifies of who he is. So what did Jesus say about himself? These are the words of Jesus from the Gospels themselves. John 14, 6, we all know this one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Very exclusive statement. John 14, 9. The context here is Philip says, because he's confused, and the disciples, their, their practice back then was, when you were confused, just talk. So Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be good enough for us. And Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That's a bold statement for a flesh and blood human to make. 
John eleven twenty five. the context there is Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus, Lazarus in Bethany. And he says to Lazarus' sister, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So Jesus is claiming power over death itself. And then he proved it. Mark 14, 62, this is a statement on the last day of Jesus' life, uh, hours away from the cross itself. He is on trial for his life. The man standing before him, Caiaphas, has the power to send Jesus to his death. And he says, are you the Christ, the son of the living God? Jesus says, I am. And then he says these words, in the future, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. In other words, you're sitting in judgment of me now, Caiaphas, someday I will sit in judgment of you, your eternal destiny. So this is why C.S. Lewis famously said, Jesus is one of three things. He says, you can't call him a good teacher. You can't call him a good man, a good example. He is one of three things. He is either a liar, a con man, a cult leader like David Koresh, like Jim Jones, or He is a lunatic. He's a man who was totally deluded about who he was, uh, like a man who claims to be uh, a, a visitor from Mars. Or, number three, he was exactly what he said he was. Good people, wise teachers, good examples do not go around saying the kinds of things they that Jesus said unless they're right. And there can really only be one person who's right about that sort of thing. So, again, if you study Jesus, if you like what you see, if you think there's something about this man, you have to ask yourself, who was he? And that's really the question. If you've got non-Christian friends and they want to debate with you about various things, it's fine. Dialogue, discuss, but keep as best you can steering them back to the core question, well, who was Jesus? Because if Jesus was who he said he was, then all the answers about everything we're going to discuss in the rest of this series are there, and we can find him eventually. But if he wasn't, then why are you asking me anyway? Because Christianity has no answers if Jesus wasn't who he said he was. So that brings us to my last question. People might come back and say, okay, so Jesus claimed to be the one and only way. You believe that uh, Christianity is the only way. How do you know? We'll get to that next week. How do we know Jesus was who he said he was? But they might say, well, let's say that's true. Let's say Jesus really is the only way. Is that really fair? I mean, we got this whole world. We got people in other parts of the world that that uh, grow up believing other things, believing in other gods. Is it really fair that there's only one way to salvation? Why doesn't God spread it out? And the answer to the question is that's exactly what He's doing. Moment before Jesus, or in the days before Jesus left this earth, five separate times, He said basically the same thing in different words. He said in Matthew, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? There's some version of that in the other three Gospels and at the beginning of Acts. So five different times before Jesus went to heaven, he stopped the disciples and said, wait, I need to tell you this again. Your job is to spread this message. This isn't just for Jews. This is for everybody. And history bears out that they did that. See, here's one of the interesting things, and someone explained this to me a few years ago, and it just blew my mind. 
So every world religion, you can look at it and see that it's still centered in the place where it began. Islam, I mean, there's Islam all over the world, but it's still centered in Saudi Arabia. Judaism, there are Jews all over the place, but Judaism is still centered in Israel. Hinduism in India. Buddhism in China and India and that part of Asia. Christianity, though, started in the Middle East. Then it spread to Europe. Then it crossed the Atlantic and became the dominant religion of North America. Now, today, you want to know where Christianity is spreading the fastest? China, Africa, South, South America. It's as if Christianity is not rooted because unlike those other religions, it doesn't typically spread through population growth or through migration or through military conquest. Instead, it spreads through missionary activity, through witnessing, basically through love. That's the way it was intended. And that's why it can't be bound geographically. And yes, I mean, we've already talked about bad things done in the name of Christianity, but the good news is, even if you're not a Christian, the good news is, even if you don't want to believe what I'm saying, you can still take comfort in thinking, if Christianity is the one true faith, the good news about it is the central message of Christianity is that everybody's sinful, that nobody's good, all of us need a Savior equally. Therefore, anybody who's truly following Jesus, when they meet somebody of another faith, they don't feel superior to them because they say, well, you're just a sinner like me. Somebody explained the gospel to me, apparently haven't explained it to you. That's the only difference between the two of us. We wouldn't hate that person. We wouldn't, we wouldn't try to stop them from believing what they believe because that's not how we came to faith. We didn't come to faith by someone putting a knife to our throat or or a gun to our heads, or, or banning what we believe. We came to faith through love because someone showed us the faith authentically. So, in other words, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're the most committed atheist on earth, you have to admit that the more Jesus you get in a, in a, in a country, in a world, the more loving, the more tolerant, the more kind that world would be. And therefore, the good news is even good news to an extent to those who don't yet believe. All right, any questions? Man, I did that fast. That was, I may be talking too fast. Did, did anybody miss anything? Okay. All right. Next week, oh goodness, what are we doing next week? Oh well, you'll find out. Um, I've already prepared it, I just can't remember. But... Thank you all for being here. I'm going to pray for us, and uh, would you join me? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your truth, the truth of your word, Lord, the truth of your love. Lord, we're grateful that we do not worship fanciful tales. We do not worship commands and rules and rituals. Lord, we do not worship a statue, and we do not worship a legend. Lord, we worship a God who came and dwelt among us. We know you are real because someone didn't just tell us about you. You came and lived among us. And you did that not just for the purpose of teaching us and not just for the purpose of living out a good example, but you did it so that you could make a way for us through your blood, through your blood shed for us on the cross. We're grateful, Lord, that on the third day you rose and conquered death, just as you said.
We're grateful, Lord, that someday you will return and this world will finally be under the dominion and rule of a righteous king. And Lord, we're thankful that you have given us the opportunity to spread this message. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we've forgotten that or ignored it, for the ways that even though we're just sinners saved by grace, we sometimes pretend that we've come upon it by our own wisdom, our own righteousness. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for every church in our community that preaches this gospel. Strengthen us and equip us. Humble us and revive us so that we would represent you well in our neighborhoods, school campuses, workplaces, everywhere we go. Lord, we pray for revival in our land. We pray for awakening. As once happened, as happened in the past, I pray it would happen again. For it's in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we do pray. Amen. Thank you all.